0: It was March 22nd 2014. It was a Saturday at the tail end of winter. The day that we picked up our new dog Maverick in Wolfville Nova Scotia. Now I've told this story before it was actually March 26th 2014. I shared this story but I'm going to share it again today. You see we had this this brainwave uh, I don't know what we had eaten the night before, but we had this brainwave that it would be a good idea to breed our, our first dog. Her name was Sophie. She was a female, and she was a bigger dog. In an effort to make a little extra cash on the side, and so we found this breeder in Wolfville that had a mini poodle available, and we made the journey. It was five hours each way, so you know we had a fair amount of time to get to know one another on the way home. Maverick was around three years old and was kind of mild-mannered, you know. We got him home, and he seemed a bit nervous around our other dog, but but no more than what, what seemed normal to us. And so that was Saturday. We get through Sunday, which can at times be a busy day for us, of course. And Monday rolls around. It's garbage day on Monday where I live. And so I, I was corralling some of the trash and making sure I had everything out by the side of the road. And I took some bags, set them on my side porch, And they landed on top of the dog's leash. That's an important fact. Just a little foreshadowing for you. Welcome to English class. I went back downstairs to round up a couple more boxes and some trash. And while there, I decided to stoke the fire in our wood stove. In his new surroundings, Maverick was a bit unsure where to do his business. As we at times can be when we're in new surroundings, right? (laughs) And while downstairs, with me... He did his business on a bag that was going into the trash and you know being the responsible dog owner that i that i was at the time i thought i would take this opportunity to show him the proper place to urinate so i picked him up kind of holding him this style took him outside and i I was leaning down. Remember, I said that the leash was covered with a couple of trash bags. So I'm leaning down the dog in this hand, and I'm, and I'm reaching down to grab the leash with the other, and his feet, as soon as they touched the porch, he bolted, and he was gone. Man, he, he ran so fast. I, I, I barely even realized what had happened in the moment. It was, it was kind of crazy. And so uh, our other dog had gotten loose a few times, hadn't gone very far. I assumed that it wouldn't be much different today with Maverick, but man, I was wrong. He ran through a nearby intersection, if you're familiar with where where we live, the intersection heading toward the Princess Margaret Bridge, heading toward the Pepper Creek subdivision. So he's he's running through that during Monday morning rush hour traffic in Fredericton, which admittedly isn't that crazy. We just think it is. And so uh, he goes through there, cars are stopping. Shortly thereafter, I run through the intersection in pajamas and a hoodie. You may have seen me, I, I don't know. So I called my wife, and she hops in the vehicle. She drives up the street to help me catch him. We followed the dog into the parking lot of a nearby business up past the plaza, and obviously he had no desire to be caught because he ran backward past the plaza into Fernwood Drive, cut through some backyards, and we spotted him on Rockwood Way and Pepper Creek just a few moments later. From there, he ran into some more wooded yards, and that would be the last time that we saw Maverick for a long time. We drove around. We looked up and down many streets, but we couldn't see him anywhere. And, and suddenly in the moment, the severity of the situation intensified. We had no idea where Maverick was. Maverick was lost. H- have, you ever, have you ever been lost before? Not, not so much in a spiritual context, but maybe as a kid you got lost in the mall, or maybe as a young person you got lost at a theme park. Anybody? You ever lost your child in the mall before? <laughs> Does any parent really want to raise their hand on that? I don't know. I, it was uh, the fall of 2012, we were in New York, and I was with a group of people on a church trip, and we were in Times Square, and I mean, I'm a young, uh, a young man, but a grown man at this point, and I got separated from the group, and at the time, I was so cheap, I wouldn't call anybody, I didn't want to incur any of the long-distance charges, and so I was lost in New York for about five minutes, but, but it felt scary, you know? It's scary, and it's a helpless feeling to feel lost but during this traumatic episode with our new lost dog, I realized that the unpleasantness experienced by the individual that is lost is greatly superseded by the unpleasantness experienced by the owner or the guardian or the parent of the lost person. I was so shaken up that our new dog was lost. I mean, as soon as he got out of my, out of my hold, I was like, there goes $500. No, no, I was, I was concerned about the dog, not, not just the money. When you get lost in the mall as a kid, it was upsetting to you, no doubt, but, but I would suggest this morning that your parents were probably about 10 times as upset as you were because that's the heart of a parent. That's the heart of a father. After realizing the severity of the situation, we went back home and I put on some warmer clothes A friend who had pulled over to help catch Maverick lent me a knife. (laughs) I had a big machete wandering through the woods on March 24th. It was a Monday. You may have seen me, and I'm sorry if you did. He lent me some uh, orange tracking tape and a pair of snowshoes, and for several hours I tracked Maverick. His paw prints, they were still fairly visible, and I followed them through the entire Pepper Creek neighborhood, probably through your backyard if you live there. I was seeking to save my lost dog in fact this here is a map and it's a little bit hard to make out but but right there that's where I that's where I landed at the very end of my search now I live up in this area and I made the circle really big just because I don't really want everybody to know where I live (laughs) just don't want any unexpected visitors you know but I live up here, and, and, and it was about, I, I mapped it out. I, I went back home after the fact, and I took an app that lets you track runs, which admittedly I've never used for running. But uh, I followed my way through the subdivision, and I had gone 3.38 kilometers through the snow, tracking my dog. It was rough going. I I didn't wear the snowshoes on the first trek out, and I was sinking into waist-deep snow every few steps. In fact, a few times in the softer snow, and this is true, I found it easier to crawl alongside his tracks to avoid sinking. I could feel the snow turning to slush in the boots between my toes. My muscles were aching. My feet were literally freezing. But I, I kept on following those tracks because... I had to get my helpless little dog back home. And not to over-spiritualize some, a somewhat trivial experience in my life, but, but it is in these moments that I began to think of the relentless nature of God. So much more than I could ever care for a child and certainly not a dog. God cares for his kids who are lost. God cares so much for those Even those who have turned their back on him intentionally and are running away from his presence, God stops at nothing to bring his children back home. And while I was wandering through the woods, up the power line trail, through the Pepper Creek uh, subdivision, a verse from Second Peter came to mind that says that God is long-suffering to us Word, and he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I was out there that day on what seemed like a hopeless pursuit simply because I didn't want my dog to perish in the cold. And while I was praying, I would, I, or, or searching, I would pray this simple prayer. God, if you could just get inside the mind of that stupid animal, and if you could just tell him somehow, you speak dog, I know you do, tell him to turn around and double back on his tracks and, and let him find me. Let, let him come to me. Please turn him back. Really, I, I think what I was praying for was for Maverick to Repent. He needed it. He may still need it. I don't know. This verse gives us a look into God's heart. He is long-suffering. He will stop at nothing in his pursuit because he doesn't want his children to perish. And he so desires that we would just come to a place of repentance and and turn around and come back to him, no matter where we are, no matter if we've ever been in the Father's house before or not. It doesn't matter. God's desire is that all should come to repentance. The Bible tells us that all of heaven celebrates when just one sinner bends their knee and bows their will in repentance before the Lord. I would say today that some of us need to get a proper perspective on God. We need to understand the heart of our father today. It's the heart of a heavenly father who so desperately and passionately wants his kids to come home. Eventually, I had to head home after my search was in vain. But even while I was home that night, that Monday evening, my heart was still heavy with concern for Maverick. And I'm reminded today of the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15, the parable of the lost son. We call him the prodigal son. And this boy had wandered away from his father's house and had wasted his portion of his inheritance on wild, riotous living. And in the story, the father was at home not actively pursuing his son but that does not mean that he had forgotten about his son We know that he kept his eyes on the road that led back to his place because when the day finally came that the son came to himself the Bible says and made his way back to the father's house as soon as he crested the horizon or came around the bend in the driveway the father saw him immediately and ran to where he was and fell on his neck and put the coat on his back and the ring on his finger and said you are my son let's have a party because the son that was dead is now alive. I wish we could celebrate a little bit today the God that we serve, that is willing to reach for us, the God that is desirous to see us come back home. He restored him. He celebrated him. He didn't forget him. That's the heart of our father today. I want to turn our attention for the remaining moments we have together in this message to the book of Ruth chapter one. It's a short book in your Bible, only four chapters, pretty easy read, but it's a great book full of many powerful truths. In Ruth chapter one, verse one, it it sets the stage for us, letting us know what's going on and what we're about to read. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Somebody say a famine. And the story it focuses in on one specific family. And the verse goes on to say, So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home because of the famine and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. I think we could all agree this morning that things at, time, at times can get tough, but it's how we handle the tough times that ultimately determine the destiny of our lives. When circumstances are tough, I heard this before, I think it's great, you can do one of three things. Number one, you can endure, or you can escape, or you can enlist. Endure, escape, or enlist your troubles. Endurance is is often a good trait that we'll talk about, but but when I say endurance this morning, what I mean is when, you know, a person just sits around wallowing in self-pity and sucking on their proverbial thumb, you know what I mean? Just, Just down on themselves and having a pity party and everybody's invited. Endure. But rather than just suffer through the tough times and endure them, My goal in life is to enlist my trouble and to make my trouble work for me. I want to recognize that there is opportunity to grow in the midst of my difficulty. And so rather than lay down and die, I embrace the difficult times. Peter, the apostle, said in 1 Peter chapter 1, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, understanding that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. James said in James 1, my brethren, count it all joy. Somebody say joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Peter said, rejoice in trouble. James said, essentially the same thing, have joy in trouble. Why? Because you've got to understand that that there is a purpose in your problem. You've got to understand that there is the opportunity to grow every time difficulty comes your way. So don't endure your troubles. Enlist your troubles and have them work for your good and for his glory. Amen? I would say to everybody today, if there's a famine in your life, like there was for Elimelech in the house of bread in Bethlehem, I would say try to find the silver lining. Seek to find the hand of God at work in your difficulty. If you will wait on him and if you will seek his face, you will find him in the background of every famine in your life. You will find him in the background of every difficulty you face. And if he is not the source of it, he knows how to redeem it for your good. But Elimelech, he didn't either. He didn't endure it. He didn't enlist it. But he did the other thing. He tried to escape it. Somebody say escape. Elimelech took his family and left Bethlehem, the house of bread, as it's translated. The Bible says that he went to Moab. He left the house of bread. And he camped with the enemy because of a famine. And this is is kind of like a type scene that we see throughout Scripture a few various times. And one other example is Genesis chapter 12. Abram, the father of the faithful, encounters a famine. Uh, Verse 10 says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt, for the famine was grievous. In the land and the temptation for all of us when circumstances get tough and and you feel like you're in a famine is to leave God's house of bread and to start wandering looking for sustenance in Egypt or in Moab when we feel empty let me say we need to stay planted in the house of bread when life is giving you lemons come on you got to stay planted In the house of bread when there's a famine all around you and it doesn't feel like God's there you got to stay planted in the house of bread when we feel alone and we feel like nobody is for us we've got to remember that God is for us and we need to stay planted in the house of bread I know famines aren't fun, but the worst day in the house of God, in the house of bread, is better than the best day in the world. No matter what, this, what, what happens in the church context, it is better, the worst day, than the best of days in the world. It's why the psalmist would say that better is a day... your course than a thousand anywhere else it doesn't matter what I encounter in the presence of God in the house of God I want to stay there because I know that it's better I'm not gonna go wandering in enemy territory I'm not gonna go looking into Egypt I'm gonna stay in the house of bread and because Elimelech tried to escape his circumstances Elimelech paid a great price Verse 3 of Ruth chapter 1 tells us that Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. But it gets worse. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Please grasp with me for a few moments the reality and the severity of just one short-sighted decision. Just one. Because of Elimelech's choice to go looking for more prosperous circumstances, he lost his life. His sons would end up marrying pagan Moabite women, marrying outsiders, which was strictly prohibited in God's law. Moabites came from Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter in Genesis 19. Moab was cruel to Israel during their wilderness wanderings. They invaded and ruled over Israel during the time of the Judges in chapter 3 of the book of Judges. Moabite women seduced Jewish men into immorality and idolatry in Numbers 25, and as a result, 24,000 of God's people died. God called Moab his washpot, which is a picture of a humiliated nation washing the feet of conquering soldiers in Psalm chapter 60, verse 8. This is the heritage of the Moabite nation, and this is what those two sons married into because of one short-sighted decision. Because Elimelech tried to escape the famine, he and his family paid the price. His decision set in motion a series of events and decisions that never should have been. And it wasn't just detrimental to Elimelech, but also to his sons, marrying pagans and ultimately dying themselves distant from the house of bread. I've come to see that that when a father or parents in a family make a short-sighted decision and steer their family off course, oftentimes they don't pay as big a price as the children do. Because the parents, they still have a memory of what it was like to be raised in, in truth, to be raised in the presence of God, to be raised in the house of bread where there was sustenance and where there was provision from God. They know what it's like. And, and they may not let go of their doctrinal uh, their doctrinal stand. They may not let go of their convictions fully, but, but they, in the process of a short-sighted decision, may may make it so their kids are never exposed to those same things. And so what they maybe pay a smaller price for, the kids ultimately in this story especially paid an even greater price. It's it's the problem and the treachery of just one short-sighted decision. Just one. Abram and Sarai, to revisit that story, they went to Egypt, right, in Genesis 12. And later, after getting tired of waiting for God to come good on his promise for a son, Sarah gave Abram her Egyptian handmaid. Uh, her name was Hagar, right? To have a child with, they wanted to bypass God's waiting game and do it themselves. But, but the question is, where did Hagar come from? She was an Egyptian handmaid. And so evidently, she came from Egypt. Hagar was a remnant from a short-sighted decision to wander during a famine they wandered and they picked up a little bit of baggage and it's not that god can't work it all out for for our good and for his glory it's not that god can't do something with our mess and, and make something beautiful with it but you got to realize that that a short-sighted decision in the middle of a famine can have long-term detrimental effects and what we are called to do and what is necessary and imperative for us to do is to stay in the house of bread even when bread seems a little bit scarce to stay in the house of God even when we face difficulty and even when somebody offends us and even when we don't really like maybe something that was preached that is doctrinally sound but it just rubbed us the wrong way we need to stay in the house of bread and if you believe it and agree with it can you clap your hands and shout for a moment I'm staying in the house So by not trusting God and trying to escape his problems, Elimelech exchanged one famine for three funerals. And that's the pattern of sin. Sin will make you pay far more than you wanted to pay. One famine for three funerals. Walking away from where God has placed you, while it may seem smart or advantageous in the moment, it will always cost you more. In the long run the pleasures of sin are but for a season and again I'm better to wait it out throughout a famine in a house of bread than to wander in Moab or Egypt and so here is Naomi sitting in Moab no husband her sons are dead and the only remnant left of their memory is two Moabite women Orpah and Ruth verse six says then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. And so Naomi and her daughters in law got ready to leave Moab to return to their homeland. Because you know, it's never too late to come home, it's never too late to turn around and make your way back to the place that you once left. And what I find interesting about this scripture and this passage is that Naomi heard about the blessing back in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. But her current location prevented her from personally experiencing the blessing. And in order for her to experience it for herself, Naomi had to repent and she had to return to her homeland because God does not bless our disobedient wandering, but if we will turn back to Him and we will go back home, we can step back into the blessing. I've just come to serve notice this morning that there is bread in Bethlehem again. That God is blessing at Capital Community Church. That God is moving and ministering. That lives are being brought back together. Families are being brought back together, and and lives are being filled with. With his spirit again I wish I had somebody this morning that agreed with me that believed with what I'm saying and you said yes God is blessing in Bethlehem there's bread enough to spare in the house of God I wish you'd be a witness to somebody around you or somebody watching this video later there's bread in the house there's enough for you here there's enough that you can come and get your fill in the house of God But you can't experience it in Moab. There's a blessing of provision that only comes in the house of bread. Only from the house of bread. She said, I'm returning to Judah. I'm returning to the place of praise. I've been in this place of discouragement for so long. I've been in this place of bitterness and frustration for so long. And I'm tired of the meager fare that the world has to offer me. I've heard that something is happening in the kingdom of God. I've heard that there's bread available for me. And so I'm coming out of my bitterness and I'm going into Judah. I'm returning to a position and a place of praise. I've heard that God is visiting his people in the last days again. I've heard that there's bread in my father's house. So I'm picking myself up from where I am right now. And I'm moving back to God. God's presence again. Come on, it's never too late to make a decision to turn around and repent of your sin and make your way back to an altar and give your life to God again. It's never too late to come back home. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. When Abram finally realized that he should not have come to Egypt, the Bible tells us that he went to Bethel which means the house of God, and he revisited an altar that he had built some time ago because Abram realized, God can't bless me here in Egypt, but if I will return to the house of God and find my altar again, God will restore us and we can experience his blessing in our lives. It's like the prodigal son, he's been wandering, but he thinks back to his father's house And he remembers how there's always, watch it, bread enough to spare there. And so the prodigal son, one of the things that brought him back to his senses was the fact that there was bread at Father's house. That there was provision and blessing at Father's house. And so he returns to take part in the blessing. I just want to say it again this morning for anybody in, the, in, in my hearing today and anybody watching this today or later online, I just want to declare today that there is bread enough to spare in the house. There's more than you need in the house of God. There's more than you need in a local church family like this one. I'm telling you, God is at work in the last days and God is restoring things in the last days and everybody is invited. To the party. And so a lot has happened since she first left Bethlehem. I'm going to hasten to a close here this morning. It's been 10 years or more, but it's never too late to make your way back home. It's never too late. What's interesting as you read through the story is that Naomi didn't want her two widowed daughters-in-law to join her for the trip back home. Verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living And they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mothers. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye. And they all broke down and wept, like women sometimes tend to do. Sometimes I, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Come see me later if you want to hear it. Verse ten. No, they said, We want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And and even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods and you should do the same. It raises the question, why would a daughter of Israel, Naomi, servant of the true God, encourage two pagan women to continue in pagan worship? Why would she not encourage them to carry out the journey with her and, and change their lives for the better and to convert to the ways of God, to 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 serve Yahweh, right? Why, Why would she say, go back to Moab? I would suggest this morning that the reason that Naomi had this sentiment about her was shame. Shame. Guilt for the past. Maybe it was an effort to keep up appearances with all of her other Jewish family and friends. Because if they saw Naomi with two Moabite women it would be a constant reminder of her family's shortcomings. It was proof of her disobedience and her abandonment of God's people in the first place. And she could only imagine in the years that would come if those two women came home with her, they'd be out trimming the hedges in the front yard and the neighbor would look over and say, oh yes, I remember. That time they went down to Moab. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Shame. And so rather than own up to her life decisions from the past decade of her life, it seems that she's trying to sweep it under the rug and excuse it away. She tried to hide her past from her people, perhaps. Orpah and Ruth would have been a constant reminder of of the stupid decision to leave Bethlehem. It would have been a constant reminder of the great loss and suffering every time that she looked at Ruth and at Orpah, she would see her sons, Malon and Kilion in their faces. The thought of her boys would have been heart-wrenching. Likely, it was this regret that she was carrying. And so Orpah takes the advice, she leaves. But despite all of Naomi's pushing and prodding, Ruth refuses to leave, which is a beautiful picture loyalty in fact ruth's name it means companion it means friend and ruth lived up to her name this day verse 16 says ruth replied don't ask me to leave you and turn back wherever you go i will go wherever you live i will live your people will be my people your god will be my god wherever you die naomi i'm gonna die And I'll be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Fine, carry on. And by all accounts, Ruth should have listened to Naomi. Naomi. And went back home to moab she she would have been married sooner she would have had a familiar convenient life but ruth refused to go back and her statement in verse 16 and 17 is both beautiful and powerful what a declaration of commitment not only to naomi but to god himself the only way she would abandon was death this is going up against all kinds of things The law said in Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 that an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. She's a Moabite. She probably knew this. Naomi would have. Maybe she told her. Even to the tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. And so everything seemed to be stacked against Ruth, but it didn't matter. This daughter-in-law of Naomi, the law said that Ruth was unworthy, but she threw herself at the feet of a merciful God, and God welcomed her in anyway. I'm grateful today. I was raised in this. But don't let the coat. Don't let the button-up shirt fool you today. We all look really good in our Sunday best, but we are normal people that have been broken. Some of us are broken, and we are here only by the grace of God. Each and every one of us in the room know what it is to throw ourselves at the feet of a merciful God People that don't deserve mercy people that deserve God's judgment for all of eternity But we said God I'm coming as I am. I'm putting myself at your feet I'm bending my knee at an altar and God met us with mercy. Don't ever think that you earned your way here Don't ever forget that that we are at the mercy of God's hand in our lives but God always meets us in that way. Is anybody grateful that God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, He has quickened us together with Christ. And it's by grace that we are saved. And He's raised us up together. And He's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Nobody in the room has a right to be here today. Such We're some of you, but you are washed and you are cleansed in the blood of the lamb and by the mercy of Jesus Christ. All of our shortcomings were stacked against us. And the last thing we should be given is access to God's presence. But despite what the law said, hmm, mercy had another plan. Despite what God's justice demanded, God's mercy stepped over it and welcomed us in anyway which is why Paul would later say two verses later, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We didn't earn this. God gave it to us as a gift. I hasten to a close, music join me. I would say this morning for all of the Naomi's that are out there, anybody listening to this today, you've been wanting to come home, you've heard what's happening in Bethlehem. You've heard about what's happening in the land of Judah. You've heard of the miracles. You've heard of the moves of God's spirit. You've heard of God's abundant blessings in the lives of his people, and you want to come home. But you feel like you have to remove all the remnants of your mistakes first. Come as you are. Come to an altar, still with the remnants of Moab hanging off of your life. Come as you are, no matter how deeply entrenched in sin you may be, no matter how intentional the decision was to leave in the first place, come back to Bethlehem. The beautiful thing about God is he can take the remnants of a season of wandering and use it for his glory. And many of us know the story of Ruth. And we know the end from the beginning, and we understand that Ruth later in the book marries a man named Boaz, an Israelite man. And they get married, and, and Boaz, it's a beautiful picture of redemption, another message for another time. Boaz redeems Ruth, they get married, and Ruth gives birth to the grandfather of King David, Obed. Obed, Jesse, And then David, David's bloodline eventually continued on down to Jesus Christ, the Messiah and our Redeemer. And I love that today because Naomi's biggest mistake ended up becoming something beautiful, not just for her life, but for all of humanity. Her biggest mistake ended up becoming a part of God's master plan for the redemption of all of us and we know that all things work together isn't that what the bible says for the good of them that love god to them that are called according to his purpose god can take the roofs and the orpas of our life god can take the decades that we spent in moab or in egypt and god can turn it and work it and make it go for our good God can take your worst moments and God can take the nights that you wish you could forget. And if you will repent and if you will return to Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethel, the house of God, God will work them into the beautiful tapestry and master plan of your life. You don't have to sweep Ruth under the rug this morning. You don't have to pretend that you've always been perfect. You can come as you are. So the two of them continued. the Bible says, on their journey i have one more point i want to make today when they came to bethlehem the entire town was excited by their arrival not just by naomi's arrival but by their arrival including a moabite woman naomi assumed seemingly that she would be met with rejection when she made her way back home but instead she was embraced with excitement I've come to tell you, don't allow your preconceived ideas and notions about what you think it's going to be like when you make the journey back. Don't you think that what you're telling yourself is the truth. I've come to tell you that there's excitement in the house of God and there's excitement in heaven when when somebody makes their way back home. The whole community, the whole town was excited by Naomi and Ruth's arrival. Verse 20, Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Here's the interesting thing. I read through the rest of the book of Ruth, and despite her request to be called Mara, which means bitter, not once that I can see does anybody throughout the rest of this short book ever call her by that label. Nobody calls her Mara. No one around her in the house of bread embraced the self-prescribed label. And rather than label her bitter, they called her by her name, Naomi, which means pleasant. You know, real friends don't define us by our lowest moments. The kind of people you need in your life, and I would suggest the kind of people that are sitting in these pews today, they are people that do not call out the lowest moments and the darkest and deepest points of your life. But you need people around you that that call out the best in you. For every wanderer, for every Naomi that may be here today, when you return, maybe you'll come with a preconceived label for yourself. Maybe, maybe your label is bitter. Maybe, maybe your label is cheat. Or, or maybe your label is hurting. Or, or maybe your, your, your label is liar or adulterer. Maybe your label is whatever. You fill in the blank for you. But whatever it is, this church... And I'll speak for myself at the very least. We do not define you by the lowest moment of your life. And we do not define you by your worst label that you can conceive or conjure up. The prodigal son in the Bible, he had a label for himself too. He's coming to his senses and he decides that he's going to go back to father's house. And he's just going to act as a servant, a.k.a. a slave. But when he comes around the bend in the driveway the father comes and races to meet him and he says no no no! you're not a servant that's not the label I'm ascribing to you you are a son I'm restoring you to what you were before you left you're the same thing now that you were before you left you were Naomi when you left and you were bitter while you were away but when you come back you're Naomi again you were my son when you left and you were you were wayward and you were you were far from me for a season but when you come back you're no longer a slave You are my son. You're not Mara. You're Naomi. You're not bitter. You're pleasant. You're not a servant. You're my son. And so Naomi goes back and realizes that she got so much more than what she could have ever imagined, what she could have ever desired. She had the blessings of God, and she had people around her that embraced her, not for what she was at her worst, but for who God made her to be, Naomi. Stand with me this morning. Church, if you could be sensitive in these moments and just allow the presence of God to permeate this atmosphere and to permeate every moment we have remaining together. I've come to tell you this morning, it's never too late to come home. It is never too late to turn around. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you're wondering the resolution to the story maverick came home maverick came home it was tuesday morning the next day he'd been out in the bitter cold all night long it was negative 23 that night but before i went to bed i couldn't search in the snow any longer i felt like you know the father of the prodigal son sitting at home just waiting and wishing and hoping and longing but on my side porch i had a kennel sitting out there i did everything i could i mean evidently i didn't know how to shovel my step i had a hot water bottle wrapped in blankets i had food i had water i put a blanket around that thing so the wind couldn't whistle through i had a place for him And I had a kennel wide open, and this morning I just feel in the spirit that God has his arms wide open. And he's waiting and ready to embrace anybody that would come home. It's never too late to turn around. It's never too far that you can't make your way back to a place of repentance and feel the blessing of God touch your life again. I want to leave you with one last thought. In fact, if you would just in this moment, if you would begin to make your way out of your seats. Maybe this isn't for you today. Maybe you know that you're planted in the house of bread, and you're planted in the house of God, and and you're not going anywhere. But But for somebody else in the room today that maybe wants to make a step, a courageous step toward God, I wonder once again if we as a church family could just come around this front, and if we could just allow an atmosphere of prayer, an atmosphere of the Spirit to just permeate this place this morning. As you come, just go ahead and get in that vein of prayer, get in that atmosphere of prayer, get in that attitude of prayer. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the Bible says, this is my last verse, that Naomi returned from Moab. I believe that's the destiny of somebody in the room today, that somebody's returning from Moab. And she was accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman, arriving in Bethlehem in the spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. I find it interesting that they arrive in the springtime a time of new beginnings they arrive in the time of harvest it's a time of plenty when they come home and for somebody here today I've come to say it's a time of new beginnings and it's a time of abundance and bounty and plenty in the presence of Jesus Christ if you will just make your way back home and give everything you are once again to God Lord I've wandered, Lord I've done some really kind of crazy stuff over the past little while but I'm coming to a place of repentance again I'm coming back to the house of bread. Oh God, move in this place right now. Go ahead, church, if you would just enter in to a place of prayer. For anybody else in the room this morning, if you would like to make a courageous step toward this altar as a sign to God, Lord, I'm coming back. Lord, I'm taking a step back to you again. I'm coming back, Jesus. I invite you now. I invite you to step down an aisle to come around this altar. If you'd like us to pray with you, we would love to pray with you this morning and just allow the presence of God to touch you. Guys, go ahead and raise the screen. Church, I wish you would just enter in with everything you've got right now. I wish you would just push in this atmosphere. We need a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost. We need a breaking of every stronghold, of every shackle, of every chain that holds people back. on, just wait on the Lord for a moment here. Just wait on the Lord for a moment. There is an opportunity to make a step, even now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to delay. There's still a chance today. There's still a moment where God is intersecting the timeline of your life and saying, hey, I'm reaching for you. My arms are open today. I'm wanting you to come back down the road to the Father's house in the name of Jesus. Oh. La bocca, bocca, la bocca, bocca, la bocca,